And welcome to another edition and sadly the final edition of the 2019 season for the Twins Wrap with Dick Bramer brought to you by Jefferson Lines. And well, Dick, last night another sweep at the hands of the Yankees. And boy, it just after a great season, it really feels like you got hit by a freight train. Well, the Yankees are really good. We have to remember that. We've, uh, they've unfortunately proven it to us uh, too many times over the last 15 years or so. But, uh, you know, this, is a, this was a year where, um, you know, we, we didn't see the Twins team in October that we saw in the first six months of the year. And the Yankees, you know, quite frankly, outplayed the Twins in every facet of the game in the three-game series. It was amazing. We talk about jinxes and all that stuff and just curses, but it was amazing. I don't really believe in a lot of that stuff, but it was amazing time after time how it seemed like the Twins were hitting all these atom balls, balls right at them, or great defensive plays, or the Yankees just played perfectly into the shift time and time again. The Twins couldn't get a break last night. Well, yeah, particularly in game three, and I think as you look back to the first two games as well, uh, the Twins did a pretty good job you know, controlling Aaron Judge at the plate, but he had a phenomenal series in right field. He made three extraordinary catches of line drives, and then made, uh, in the case of a game three, made a couple of nice plays on the balls hit off the wall. You know, this is a team, Derek, we, we watched it all summer long. They led the league in multi-run innings, and the you know, tip your cap to the Yankees because they did a great job pitching to this Twins lineup. Uh, they ended up with just seven one-run innings in the three games. And again, that's not what we saw all summer long from this Twins lineup. Yeah, I think that – would you say with some of the hitters, though, that there might have been a little bit of the uh, big stage fright? I, mean, I certainly felt that way sometimes with Sano. And you know, I, I wish – it's too bad that Kepler didn't get a few more at-bats in the later part of the season. Yeah, and and – you know, they made the assessment that it would be better for him to rest, but, uh, you know, Kepler didn't do much. Rosario had a great final game. So, no, you, know, you got to remember this is, you know, his first, uh, you know, playoff series. And so, you know, I'm, maybe the players themselves can't even answer that question. So it's certainly not for me to. But, uh, you know, let's let's give credit where credit's due. The uh, Yankees had a good uh, pitching game plan against the Twins. They executed it. Um, you know, they were the, the Yankees were the team that got the three run doubles and the grand slams and, and all that. And the twins were left, you know, trying to score, you know, one run at a time. And you're just not going to win many games doing that. No, that's for sure. And, you know, I think people are thinking because this team was so injured all year, the Yankees are scary one through nine. I'm sure Houston's looking at this uh, pretty carefully considering what we saw yesterday with the Houston and the Rays as well. Well, I think going into the playoffs, uh, most objective baseball fans felt that there was, you know, one and two in the American League uh, uh, playoff field, meaning the Astros and the Yankees, and then there was a significant drop off down to the Twins, even though uh, the Twins won 101 ball games. And I think as we we step back now and have the opportunity, unfortunately, to look at this, uh, I, I think Twins fans can objectively say that the whole Michael Pineda thing that that hit about four weeks ago really, really crippled this Twins team uh, in preparing for a playoff series. You know, as great a story as it was Randy Dobnak, uh, there, there's no chance he makes a, a playoff start, might not even make the playoff roster if Pineda uh, hadn't been suspended. He was the Twins' most reliable starting pitcher and game in and game out gave them a chance to win. 
And of the three games, game two is the one where the Twins really didn't have much of a chance to win. And along about the time that Pineda got suspended, Kyle Gibson and Martin Perez stopped throwing strikes. And so this, you know, the key to the Twins' regular season, oddly, was the stability of the starting rotation. And so you get into the playoffs against a really good team, and the starting rotation was hardly, hardly very stable. Yeah, it was a tough situation this year, too. And we've had many conversations about this. You, I think you hit the nail on the head. One of the biggest keys was Perez and Gibson just not being able to get it done come August. And it was right after the trade deadline. But, of course, outside of Granke, you had a no-trade clause. There were many trades anyway right at the deadline. So it's not like the Twins, you know, people say, well, they should have went to get more pitching. Well, no one was offering up any more pitching. Well, there was uh, Marcus Stroman who was out there. He would have been a big help. Aaron Sanchez went to the Astros and had a couple of good starts before he got hurt. There were some arms out there, and that brings up one of the really unfortunate things uh, about uh, the Pineda suspension, and that is the player and his agent were aware of it, apparently, before the trade deadline, but the team was not. And so you're left in a situation where the team is oblivious to the fact that one of the key components of their team and their run to a, a division championship might not be available. And, and and if the reports are true, it's really unfortunate uh, that, that, that Michael Pineda did not step forward and say, hey, look, there's a chance. I might not be around come playoff time if we make it there. Uh, maybe you'd better, you know, uh, uh, you know, come up with a plan B or, or, or make some phone calls to – uh, prepare yourself in the event that I'm not available to pitch. It's really unfortunate. Uh, I think the Twins would have had a much better chance uh, to succeed through the first round of the playoffs if either Pineda hadn't been suspended or he'd have been forthcoming with what his situation really was like. Yeah, because I had a, a conversation with a listener who was really angry about the Stroman thing. I said, well, the Mets did offer up five guys on a Saturday night, right? So, I mean, they weren't playing deal, no deal. They just took the million-dollar briefcase, if you know what I mean, if I'm use that analogy. But you're right. I mean, the Twins have probably been more willing to offer up a lot more prospects for someone else during that time if they could be up front. And it's too bad that that all took place because there's no doubt Michael Pineda, game one against his former team, I mean, that would have been a, quite a storyline right there. Well, if not game one, game two, certainly. And, you know, the, the the game three clincher was a competitive game. The Twins found themselves behind and couldn't get the big hit. But if, you know, in the second inning, if Sano, you know, after a long at-bat hit, hits a double instead of hits a pop-up, well, then game three was uh, obviously very winnable. The two in New York kind of got away from them, and, and Pineda would have started one of the first two games for sure. Speaking of you know who starts what, and I, I didn't really second-guess Rocco Baldelli. It's easy to do now as far as how they had the rotation going because, like we said, there wasn't a real you know win-win situation. I don't think they wanted Odorizzi in Yankee Stadium because he's a fly-ball pitcher. I mean, he's trying to make chicken salad out of you-know-what at that point, right? Yeah, and, and you know it, it makes all the sense in the world, but I, personally I thought, not that I know anything about it, but I thought uh, if – uh, the Twins lost game one. They would come back with Oda Rizzi when the plan all along was to have him pitch game three because uh, of his reputation of being a fly ball pitcher. And I thought Jake Oda Rizzi pitched a marvelous game last night in game three and, and gave the Twins five really good innings. 
you know, the one home run barely cleared the wall, and then the second run scored on a cue shot off the end of the bat uh, and beat the shift. So I, I thought, you know, the, that part of the game plan worked really well because Jake gave the Twins a really good chance to win the game. Before we get uh, back to pitching and, and just kind of talking about everything that goes along with that, I do want to – the one second guess, I was a little surprised by this. I don't know if you were, but – you know, Jonathan Scope early on was in the lineup for game one, knowing that, you know, they got a left-hander going and then with Paxton, and then he owns Tanaka the next night. I was a little surprised. that we, You and I both love Luis Arise, but he was a little banged up, and I thought maybe in Yankee Stadium, a, a place where Scope is a little bit familiar, if I was going to have one second guess about this whole thing, I think maybe that would be it. And I think what happened and, and the, the deciding factor was the fact Jonathan really, really struggled toward the end of the season. Now you can say, well, he didn't have uh, the at-bats he needed to maintain his swing, and that's probably a valid point too. But the Twins had to find a place for Luis Arise. And the fact of the matter is, Arise is one of the few hitters who had an impact in the series. He hit line drives all over over the place. He got, what, four doubles and a single? So he needed to play. Uh, I was kind of surprised too, not so much in game two, because Tanaka can tease you, and Jonathan uh, was guilty of being teased a lot with off-speed stuff. But, you know, the Yankees had uh, Paxton, the left-hander, going in game one, and I thought, given Arise's situation, trying to recover from the ankle, that the Twins may have given him another day there and not started him against uh, Paxton. But, uh, you know, that the, the Arise situation is one of the huge bright spots that emerged out of this season. I can't wait to see this guy, you know, his, his career develop. Yeah, because as far as that is concerned, I mean, uh, they're pretty set for their infield for a little bit, right? I mean, they, they really, they, I mean, they, they don't have a lot of moves to make. I think Nelson Cruz, his option's going to be, well, like tomorrow they're going to say, yes, we're going to exercise that option. I mean, that's going to be a pretty much a no-brainer. But outside of pitching, as far as their offensive guys goes, they they are pretty set, aren't they? Well, yeah, you'd like to think so. But then we all thought the outfield was pretty well set. And uh, what, uh, Rosario, Buxton, and Kepler played together, seems like eight games or something all year long. One was hurt or the other was hurt. So you, you, you've just got to, you know, I've learned over the years, Derek, that, you know, that I and baseball fans in general should pay attention to every transaction that occurs in the offseason because the most insignificant ones that are just, a you know, a depth play to fill out the 40-man roster or the, even the AAA roster, those transactions end up becoming very, very significant come the regular season because of injuries, trades, suspensions, whatever whatever happens over the course of a season. Sometimes the most in, insignificant move in January is a really big play come July. I, I'm kind of curious about Gratterall. Do you think he – I mean, we talk about starting pitching for next year. Are they going to maybe try to make him a starter, or do you think he's going to be that heavy-heat bullpen guy that's been so synonymous with bullpens, you know, probably since the Royals and beyond that? Yeah, no, he uh, was prepped as a starter, and uh, one of the concerns they had was whether he'd be able to react well to a move to the bullpen <laughs> Excuse me, up here because Fernando Romero had a difficult time doing that. Uh, so Gratterall will be a starter. Now the question is where he'll start. I would imagine he will start at triple A, maybe even double A, but as we've seen this year, where a player starts the year uh, has no impact on where he'll finish the year. They like him as a starter because he's got three pitches for the most part. 
He looked really composed in some pretty big stages, including Yankee Stadium. So um, he's one to watch. I, I think as the Twins look forward to 2020 and beyond, the starting rotation is going to look a lot different as soon as next year. Odorizzi's a free agent. Gibson's a free agent. I don't know that they saw enough for Martin Perez, the way his season uh, evolved, whether they would be interested in bringing him back. My personal hope is that uh, Twins fans never see Michael Pineda pitch for them again because of how that situation unfolded. So there you have it. There are four guys who are you know, the anchors of the rotation for most of the year, and there's a decent chance I would think none of the four will be back. Yeah, it's crazy to think. Uh, sticking with pitching, I know this is going to be sound, kind of sound whiny, but you and I have talked about it all year long, and I've even said this in series that I've watched, especially in the postseason, the strike zone. And I, I don't necessarily think that it necessarily cost the Twins this series by any means. It was frustrating that it seemed like every 0-2 pitch I mean, it had to be right down the middle, and we know what Yankee hitters are going to do with it if it goes down the middle. That gets very frustrating, and I think that's not going to end the whole talk of a electronic uh, type of device to call balls and strikes with the umpires coming up here. No, I, I think it's fast approaching because, you know, especially we've, we've seen it in the Twin Series and the other playoff series come October. Uh, you know, a true, accurate strike zone is so critically important to every at-bat and within that, every inning, every game. Spent a lot of time during the playoff series talking with one of the umpire supervisors, uh, Charlie Relliford, who was a longtime Major League umpire. And, and he was repeatedly emphasizing, he was there to analyze, to scrutinize uh, and grade the umpires in this series because the six guys who were part of this umpiring crew in the Twins-Yankees series, all are candidates to uh, be umpires uh, in the World Series. And there is a tremendous difference in terms of what these guys get paid in the ALDS compared to what they will get paid if they're selected for the World Series. So it's in their best interest, the umpire's best interest, to do the very best job they can. So I, I don't want to suggest that, you know, you know, the Yankees have a built-in edge when it comes to the umpiring because the umpires are graded and, and uh, you know, judged uh, on how they do in this round if they want to have any hope of advancing and, and being uh, uh, an umpire in the World Series. But you're right. I, I think it's it's fast approaching the time when we'll have a, an electronic strike zone. We'll still have a home plate umpire. He just won't have uh, the definitive, you know, ball strike calling to make. Yeah, because I think one of the most – I've always said, and I don't know if you agree with my philosophy on this, as far as speeding up the game, we always talk about it. They don't need a clock. They need to reduce the number of walks. And I said that once to Maury Wills when he was with the Red Hawks up here. He says, well, that means walking. That was part of my game. And I said, but you are not a part of this game anymore. The the type of player you are, Ricky Henderson, where they're going to really try to steal outside of Kansas City, I guess. They don't do all, all that much. Because walks can really be boring, and I think if they can get guys to either go down swinging or sit down because they aren't a swinging or put the ball in play, is going to be much more exciting for this game because the Yankees, time and time again with their patient approach and getting those calls, what they say is off the black, really makes these games four hours each and every time they play. Right, and then Severino didn't help yesterday when he was in trouble in the second inning. It was taking him forever. Uh, he, there was a walk in the middle of the inning and, and some other, uh, pitches that he thought should have been called strikes. 
He was flumping his shoulders. He was going halfway between the mound and second base to think about his next pitch and all that, and why the pitch before wasn't called a strike. Oh, yeah, and if yeah. you have an electronic strike zone, well, that's eliminated. You know, It's, it's taken out of the, the human hands and put in, you know, in the hands of a computer, if you will. And, and so I, I do think it would, it would accelerate the pace of play, which is something everybody wants anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, final thing for you, it, it was a heck of a season. You know, it's a disappointment that's another sweep against the Yankees, but I, I don't know where you feel. This is one of the, the more fun rides that I've had as far as being a Twins fan this past 2019 summer. Well, I think what we've seen in Twins history, and most recently, you know, I guess 18 years ago, uh, once you turn the corner uh, in either direction, either towards winning or towards losing, but once you turn that corner, uh, Twins history would suggest that you know you're going to be good for a while. The Twins should be good for a while. They've got some of the best young players, developing players, uh, who individually took huge steps forward this year. Uh, Barrios, Sano, you know Buxton might be the next one. Kepler certainly. Polanco, the American League starting shortstop in the All Star game. So this bunch should be pretty good for a while. I think Twins fans should be convinced that the front office is very thorough in analyzing and assessing what it is they have, what it is they need, where they can go get it. I think it's going to be a very interesting offseason in that regard. And then, too, the Twins have you know an abundance of really good young players that even haven't even broken through yet to the big league level. And, and they're coming. They should help fortify this roster. So, uh, as discouraging as the end of the season was, if you take a step back and look to where this team was when spring training started in February, what we all watched through the summer months, and now looking forward to, to, to uh, 2020, uh, I'm really anxious. Um, sounds crazy to say this, the season just ended, but I'm anxious for the next season and the seasons to come to, to get here because uh, this what we had this year was a, was a fun team to watch, and I think they're going to be even more enjoyable down the road. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, I I was joking with a friend of mine. Well, we got snow coming. We might as well have hot stove right now, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, it should be a fun offseason to see what they do, especially as far as fortifying that uh, rotation, as you said. Uh, I guess I'm looking forward to this postseason, though. I mean, I'm, I don't know really, really who I'm pulling for, but you have some greatness with Houston, and I do appreciate greatness quite a bit. I don't normally pull for the Yankees, but I do like Aaron Judge, his approach. I mean, he seems to be a pretty good guy. He's always having fun with the fans, too. So this should be a pretty good uh, American League uh, Championship Series, NLCS, and also World Series, too. Well, uh, right now, Tampa Bay is still very much alive, and they're everybody's Cinderella story. I'm going to have a hard time uh, uh, having a rooting interest for either uh, the Yankees or Houston. Uh, I've got some personal reasons uh, for, for feeling that way. So my sentimental pick might come out of the National League, uh, might be the Nationals. I don't know. I think, you know, Atlanta would be a, a compelling story. If you like staying in the Midwest, St. Louis will be a fun team to watch and pull for. So, uh, unfortunately, we'll be on the sidelines again looking at uh, on television at what should be a really fun playoff series and World Series. I, I guess you brought up something I was almost I almost forgot to bring up to you. Boy, you know, I have a my, my fiancé works for an assisted living place and, and things like that, and much like – you have Anthony LaPanta gets to do the first couple of rounds of the playoffs in the NHL. I wish they'd let you guys do that because, 
boy, for folks like that, it is so confusing. And for a lot of uh, caregivers, when you're talking about MLB Network and all that, it's a shame. I think if you and I were czars of sports, we'd make that much easier for a lot of the fans out there. Well, obviously, I'd love to do it. I just finished my 36th year uh, broadcasting for the Twins, and I've yet to broadcast a postseason inning. And, and you know, professionally, it's disappointing for me, and I know for Twins fans, when the team gets to the big stage, the playoffs, what have you, and the players' names are mispronounced and misidentified, and, you know, that's that's a separate discussion point. But I think the fans who watch all summer long in increasing numbers as the season wears along, they deserve to have uh, broadcasts that uh, are at their level of interest, if, if I can put kind of a vague term to it, uh, you know, and, and misidentifying players, whether it's, and I've done it, you know, you, you, you get, uh, you know, confused or you have a mental block or something, or you mispronounce a name. Uh, it happens, but it shouldn't happen on a regular basis, particularly in the postseason. Yeah, that's for sure. You want to divulge why you you're, don't like uh, the Yankees and Astros? <laughs> well, I, 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 it's for personal reasons. Yeah. I, I'm not real fond of uh, both the Yankee closer and the Houston closer based on their off-field oh, yeah, uh, trouble yeah. with the law. And, and I don't, you know, to me the Astros, and this is just my opinion, everybody's got their own opinion. To me the Astros were really – feel-good story because they were terrible for a lot of years. They built their team up the right way internally and then added some pieces. But when they added that particular piece, uh, that stopped. Uh, they stopped being a feel-good story for me. The guy left behind a terrible mess in Toronto and, 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 and you know, there are certain things. I'm a big guy on forgiveness, but there are certain things that are hard to forget, and I have a hard time forgetting what uh, Osuna and uh, and Chapman both uh, were guilty of. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And it seems to happen more and more. I guess that is the uh, ultimate thing. Winning sometimes seems a little bit more important than that, unfortunately. So, yep, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, very good. Dick, this has been a thrill. I, I certainly hope we can do this again in the 2020 season. Hard to believe we're talking 2020. That's, that's just a weird number to throw <laughs> out there. But but it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. And uh, maybe we'll uh, if there's any big pitching moves, maybe I'll get a hold of you for that and we'll talk about it during the winter. I've always enjoyed these talks, Derek. Let's see if we can do it again next year. Dick Bramer, again, the TV voice of the Minnesota Twins, putting a wrap, putting a bow tie, unfortunately, on the 2019 Twins baseball season. It's been quite a ride. Been a lot of fun. Do really appreciate his time and also Jefferson Lines for bringing us this weekly conversation, the Twins wrap here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. Derek Hansen with you. If you want to comment on anything he had to say, 237-5948. You can uh, call us toll-free, 1-800-880-KFGO, Texas 35270. This is Couch Potato Radio.